This episode is sponsored by Rulin Group. There are four gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and the common link between all of them is each one was sourced through the Ruling Group. If you want to deliver amazing gifts that capture people's attention, go to GiversEdge.com to learn more. Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Abong Eka. He's the author of Start Me Up, the No Business Plan Business Plan. And he's got a really interesting background. Abong actually has been on reality TV shows. Um, He's a CPA. He was a professional basketball player. Talk about having a diverse background. And what we're going to talk about today is, is a few key things. The first is, what are the major mistakes that businesses make when it comes to business planning? How do, they, how do they make mistakes in structure pricing? And then when it comes to leadership and training your team, where can you get the greatest results? Abong's got a wealth of knowledge. He's a great guy. You're going to learn a ton from Abong Eka. Abong, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Ian. I love it. <laughs> you know what? People are going to learn a ton during this segment, so I'm really excited to dive into this thing. Now, as, as I mentioned in the intro, so your book, Start Me Up, the No Business Plan Business Plan, is something that might catch people off guard because they're thinking, well, I got to have some sort of a plan. So what's the biggest mistake that you see entrepreneurs and business owners make when it comes to business planning? The first thing I would say is they, it, it's very, it's, it, it, sounds, it sounds really simple, but the biggest thing is they fall in love with their idea. And they feel that their idea is unique because it's theirs. They feel like, and and the one of the even deeper cardinal sins I'd throw in there is that they believe that their idea is uh, it has to be uh, completely innovative and uh, revolutionary. Um, there are a lot of companies who start. There are a lot of people who start garbage companies who are worth you know seven eight figures because they just they start garbage companies companies and they do it right. So your idea doesn't really matter as much as the execution and your idea doesn't really matter unless it solves a problem that a customer has. Excellent. And so and so just so everyone knows, the idea of collecting garbage is not exactly new, but yet those people are still are still killing it and doing well in that business because they're delivering that garbage collection better than somebody else is. Exactly. Now imagine this, imagine if you're in a city and you're in a situation where uh, you know, the customer service is crappy or uh, dealing with the people on uh, on the phones or management or even billing is crappy. Subtle differences in efficiencies that you can create in your business can increase the, increase the likelihood of you standing out and separating yourselves from your quote unquote uh, competition. And, and that's one of the things I think that people tend to forget. They're, they're so engrossed in the idea and they're driven by the idea and they fall in love with it and they can't really see uh, the opportunity in being able to provide us, uh, you know, the right service uh, at the right price. The first big mistake is that idea of they fall in love with the idea and they believe that the only way they can succeed or thrive is if they have something like if they're the next Uber exactly. in their industry, that no one's thought of this. I mean, it's funny. Every time I see taxi cab drivers complain, I think to myself, dude, the taxi companies could have been Uber. They just didn't yes. see it. 
Yes. And yeah. you know, so all Uber's doing right now is guess what? It's the same drivers. It's just instead of the cab company providing the vehicles, the individual is. I mean, it's just, you know, they they change the model so it works. So so that first part is that you can't fall in love with the idea and you can't believe it has to be innovative. So now when you say the no business plan, business plan, what do you mean by that? Because I'm sure that's kind of a you know, it's that's that's something that might raise some eyebrows. It's very contrarian, and I did it on purpose to at least kind of like an ALS challenge where you dump a bucket of ice water on you. And I wanted to shock you out of the idea to follow conventional wisdom. And as you know, as a serial entrepreneur uh, and people we all know who are the same, very few of them had a business plan when they started. And my quick experiences is I used to write business plans in the late 90s, early 2000s during the dot-com days. Um, I used to pitch VCs in Silicon Valley and even uh, local angels. Uh, and I almost got I almost got a few of ideas funded until everything crashed. But the one thing I realized from talking to the VCs and angels and even banks that none of them read any anywhere past the executive summary. So then I said, what's the point of me writing a 50 page document and spending months putting together projections that obviously are all made up only for someone to tell me I'm not going to read it. And so rather than do all that, let me focus on four areas in which I saw that there was feedback and that people really cared about. And that's kind of how the, the no business plan business plan came about. All right. So you got my attention there. So now what are the four areas? Because I'm sure it's what people are wondering right now. Yes, I call them the four S's. The first is structure. Uh, simply put, the main point out of structure is uh, solving, uh, falling in love with solving a problem for a customer. We, we talked about that a little earlier. And if you can solve a customer's problem, they will give you money. And the way I look at it is this. People spend money for two reasons and two reasons only, to get a desired result or, and or to solve a problem. That's it. When you go to get something to eat, you ha- you wanna eat you're want you hungry. There's something you want in exchange for your money. Otherwise, you keep your money. So the value you're going to receive exceeds that. So if you know that, then you can, then you can actually tailor your idea to find people uh, who really want to have their problems solved. Uh, the second is strategy. And and within strategy, the the simple version of strategy is the importance of pricing. And as as you know, being a pricing expert, I spend a lot of time uh, researching and working with companies with their pricing, uh, you know, in the same pursuit. But we talked, uh, you know, off air about not doing cost plus and being, especially for those in the service space, is your price should be, should be, should relate to the value that you're bringing to your customer or potential client. And I think too many businesses fall into the pitfall uh, of not uh, not being aware of that. Uh, the next S is systems. And uh, simply put, is finding resources so you can scale. And I don't mean like scale to you know hundreds of millions of dollars. I just mean even being able to find an assistant, find an intern, uh, whether it's overseas remotely or here in, you know, in your own town, and or using systems like online systems, autoresponders, is your website being able to capture leads. This, this basic things that you don't have to, you can remove yourself on so you can focus on the last S, which is actually most important, and that's uh, sales. Okay. If you don't sell, if you don't sell and you don't make any money, you're a charity. And so, yeah. are you using social media? Are you using uh, other uh, your, your network, your power base? Are you are you you know leveraging who you are and what you do with the people you know to sell your product and service? Okay, cool. So let me. I, I want to recap these to make sure that our audience get gets these. So the four S's. First is structure. The second is strategy. The third is to have the systems in place so you can scale. And the fourth is obviously sales. Now, by the way, the the first one, when you talk about structure, um, it's near and dear to my heart because one of the things that I've done a lot of research on is 
how executives make decisions. So I, 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 put, I run people through this exercise that I've done with close to 10,000 CEOs and executives around the world. And I give them this fictitious scenario and I say, okay, based on this fictitious scenario, so one, one of your employees comes to you and says, I want to spend $20,000 on this thing. I call it a Gesertenblatt. What are, the, <laughs> what are the questions you have to have answered to be comfortable making an informed decision to either approve or deny that request for that purchase? And it's interesting because what I do is I put people in groups. So when I'm doing this with teams of CEOs, I'll put half a dozen CEOs on each team and I give them four minutes to go through this, this scenario. And it's funny because when you hear them talk, the first questions that come up are, well, what is the Gesertenblatt? How does it work? But that isn't what ends up in the, in, at the, in the final list. The final list consistently across company size, across geography, culture, um, you know, whether it's a, a million-dollar company or a billion-dollar company, it's the same questions. And that is the first question they ask is, what problem does this solve for us or why do we need it? Yes. And the second question they ask is, what are the likely results or outcomes that we'll get from making this investment? So it's perfectly aligned with what you're saying in structure, which is you said, well, they're either looking for a result or to solve a problem. And I would argue that based on the research that I've done, that it's actually both. Because what it is, is if the, if the individual doesn't understand what problem you solve for them, and they don't understand the impact of not solving it, then they don't care what the result is. Exactly. But once they're in touch with how this impacts their business, now all of a sudden the result becomes a really important thing. So you could say to somebody, for example, oh, well, hey, this, this surgery is going to make your elbow feel better. But if the person doesn't have tennis elbow, they don't really care. <laughs> so the <laughs> surgeon can't say, oh, Avon, listen, you should come to us because we're like the best people in the world at treating tennis elbow. Like our surgeons are amazing. You're like, but I don't have tennis elbow. Well, who cares? We're selling tennis elbow surgery, dude. Come on in. It's, it's amazing. The, the recovery period is awesome. I mean, you know, our nurses are great. It's like, I mean, it'd be silly, but that's the way a lot of businesses approach it. Oh, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. And, you know, and, and the, the, another, another thing to add to that is, is your positioning. How do you position yourself and what you do and who you are? And uh, I think when it comes to even coming down to writing copy and being a very good copywriter in your communications, being able to address the problem and, and needling the pain point. And I think a lot of businesses don't do that. I speak, I spoke to somebody, uh, a client a couple of days ago and she was talking about the benefits all day long. It's like, I don't understand how to get people, you know, and she's like, these are the benefits. I was like, they don't really care about it. They're not thinking, maybe you're not speaking a language that they understand. Like they're not thinking about benefits or thinking about how can I? How can this solve my problem? There's a problem, or or how can I avoid this pain? Um, and you can help me avoid that pain. And so, you know, the communication also is key as well. Well, you know, it's 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 interesting that you say that. Um, I, I often I often cite this um, when I'm when I'm speaking at events, which is the second most traffic page on my site past the home page. So so you get past the home page, the most traffic page on my site is a page titled "Problems We Solve." And keep in mind, my site's got video, you know, TV interviews, hundreds of articles, I mean, podcast episodes, I mean, all this kind of stuff. But that's the place that people go to most is problems we solve. And it's kind of funny to have that on someone's web page. You'll see that's where people gravitate towards because it's the first thing that people are looking for. And I will tell you, the first time I did this exercise with people, it was more like, you know, just, hey, I'm curious what happens. And after doing this enough times and having a large enough sample, 
once it got to about three or 4,000, I was like, you know, everyone gives the same answer everywhere around the world. Hmm, there's probably something valuable in this. I think there's a nugget in there. Now, by the way, you, you mentioned the second thing on strategy of pricing and not being dropped, you know, not being trapped in this notion of cost plus. So let's talk about pricing a little bit. Okay. What's the biggest trap that you see people fall into when it comes to pricing, especially their services? They feel, you know, that's, that's, that's an amazing question. I think uh, before I answer that question, I want to say something real quickly is that I hope people listen to what you just said the last few minutes because that I, I literally, I, I was, I was silent because I was writing notes and I want to make this very clear <laughs> that you dropped an amazing, a huge nugget that people who are listening can lose, use in their business and probably leverage it to to multiples. So I want to make I always want to make make that clear before I forget. Now, you know, uh, by the way, by the way, I appreciate that. My audience is probably sick of hearing me, so they want to hear you. But <laughs> but I appreciate you saying that. So no, no, so, I was writing notes. So yeah, totally, <laughs> totally, I was I was like, holy cow, this is great. I'm just like, I'm just writing. This is awesome. And um, so the biggest thing I saw I see with people, especially in the service space, uh, with regards to pricing, it's the mindset. So I was speaking to this. I was speaking to a gentleman I'm going to work with uh, earlier this week. He is very. It's very interesting. Nobody knows who he is. He he probably did about four or five million last year on Amazon. He does about half now. He's doing about half a million a month uh, on on Amazon and Facebook using Facebook ads to sell his products to sell you know uh, uh, motorcycle helmets and just other products in general. He has a system down. And people are asking him to coach you know, them in their business and everything else. And he's like, this is crazy. This is stuff that I already know and this is stuff that people should know. And I said, it's not about common sense. So I had to give him the – I had to work with him to give him analogies to understand that his mindset had to change. That whatever he believes, whatever he knows, you know, again, it's, it's second nature to him. But to somebody else, it's, they've never experienced it before. And I akin this to somebody who's – a 14 or like someone who's 50 years old or 45 years old has been driving for over 35, 40 years. And so they're, they're used to that. But a 13 or 14 year old who's never driven before and they would pay, you know, a decent amount of money to learn what that person who's had all that experience has. And that's the kind of that's, that's that's a mindset thing. And so the first thing I've always noticed with people and pricing is their mind. They don't believe that what they have to sell is valuable enough to raise to, you know, to charge at a higher, a higher level price. And they think they need either a whole bunch of credentials or they need you know, to be on television a boatload of times or something that differentiates them noticeably in order for them to raise their price. And I often say, look, you can never sell something for a dime more than you think it's worth. Yeah, because your nonverbal communication is going to give you away. So, yes. but so part of that is when you talk about the mindset, I think you're dead on because it's critical that people have that mindset when they know what the value is. And I think a lot of it starts with your first S, which is if you understand what problem you solve, and even going beyond that, if you understand the consequence to the individual or business of not solving that problem, then you can quickly equate. To what the value is, yes, and then you sell based on value. I mean, I don't know how often you see this, but one of the one of the things I often see is someone says, you know, they're, they're going to start doing some consulting, and I say, well, what are you going to charge? And they go, well, I mean, right now it's kind of what I do in my current job. In my current job, I make about you know forty dollars an hour. So you know, maybe if I charge fifty dollars an hour, and I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like what like that has nothing to do with what it's worth. If, yep. Just because someone else is how you do this doesn't mean that that 
it's that that has anything to do with what your real value is. And in fact, I think one of the biggest traps that people also fall into on a consulting basis is they trade hours for dollars. Yes. That's a big trap. So let's talk about that a little bit. What's your what's your thought on that? Cardinal sin number two. It's 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 horrible. It, you literally because again, you there's no there's almost no way in time, no way in life you'll be able to scale. Now that's part of the problem with you know some of the large consulting companies. I, I've worked with a few of them, and uh, some of the biggest accounting firms in the world. Well, some of the uh, the projects that they're basically you know trading time for hour, and so the only way you scale is by hiring more people, and you have a huge human capital. Um, uh, burn rate because you got to hire people and then you got to make sure you have the jobs to put them on so that you're not just burning through burning through cash. And as an individual who's a consultant, you know you only have 24 hours. You can only work for probably 10 out of those 24 hours, and then you have your your ability to be valuable kind of diminishes. And if, if if that's the case, there's no way you'll be able to take on more clients. There'll be no way you'll be able to take on um, better quality of work because you're managing all these different people. Rather than being able to, to to charge based on value, you can have enough money, and then you can scale differently. So the the the, the worst thing in the world for anybody, I don't care what you I don't give. I don't even care if you're in India and you're charging two dollars two dollars an hour. It's 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 horrible to do uh, to do uh, to, to charge based on time. Yeah, and I think that's an area that people fall into mostly because it's kind of that's the way it's always been done. Mm-hmm. I mean, I will I will tell you that the clients I work with strategically, they pay a flat fee per quarter plus a success fee. So once we double their business, triple their business, they pay a, a big chunk. They pay basically a percentage of the upside that comes out of it. But on the initial engagement, if someone asks me, well, how many hours do you think it's going to be? I know they're not a good client for me. Yeah. Because my best clients, what they'll say to me is, look, we don't care whether you spend an hour or 100 hours with us. If you can help us double our business or, more importantly, double our bottom line in our business, we just assume you did that in the fewest number of hours possible. Yeah. And the irony is this, is that when you charge by the hour, you actually get paid disproportionate to your expertise, meaning if you knew how to help someone structure their business strategy and you could do it in an hour and it took someone else 40 hours, guess what? You don't want to be in a you don't want to be in a discussion about how come you charge more per hour than someone else. You just yep. want to walk in and say, "Yeah, I'll do this for 20 grand." Yep. And they go, "Well, that seems like a good deal." And yep. you know, and that's it. I mean, it's it's kind of funny cuz there's a certain level of what I do when I'm speaking at events where it is to a certain degree still trading dollars for time. I don't I don't bill by the hour, but if I'm going to speak at an event, it's okay, here's what Ian charges to speak at this event. So if someone's paying me twenty thousand dollars to come speak for and to do a keynote, uh you could argue that, oh well, you're you're charging you're charging for that time, which I guess to a certain degree I am. But it's a little bit of a different model at that point, because I don't think anyone's calculating at that point, oh, here's how much we're paying per hour. Exactly. If they did, if they did, they'd probably just throw up. <laughs> <laughs> and I, cause I think also too at that level, when you when you're talking about like you know speech, speaking and keynotes, is that you it, it's funny. I, I don't and I you I mean, you know correct me if I'm wrong in your experience, but in mine, even every time I've said this is my number to speak, I don't get no one's thinking it's only an hour, it's an hour and a half. Like they just for some reason in that only in that industry in that area they're like okay, I get it like. This is what you. This is what you pay to. This is what we pay you to speak, and that's it. But when you go to the consulting realm, it's you're right. It's like how many hours, uh, how and, and how long will it take? 
But what you said is so poignant in that, and I think people who are listening should also uh, take note of this, is you want your customer, some of your ideal customers and clients are going to be those who are results-driven and not, you know, not quote-unquote budget-driven. So when somebody says to me, we have a budget, you know, that's not going to fit our budget. And I ask them, how much is it going to cost you to continue going through the same road with the same problem uh, next year? Are you worried about the budget then? You're going to be worried about solving the problem and eradicating it so that your business can grow and you can alleviate the pain points you have with you know whatever whatever we're talking about at this particular point in time. And I end up shifting the shifting the conversation away from away from the concept of price. Yeah, I think that I think the budget is one of the most misleading data points that people get. Because it's almost like if let's say you could solve this customer's problem and you felt that you could do it for twenty thousand dollars. If the client said, "Oh, we have a budget of fifty, most people would say, "Oh, okay, well then, yeah, you don't need to spend fifty. We can solve this for twenty. Yeah. But if the client said, "Hey, listen, our budget is only sixteen, they'd go back to their company and go, "Hey, um, you think we could do it for sixteen instead of twenty? Because that's yep. how much budget they have, which is like ludicrous because <laughs> you know you don't scale up to fifty. Right? It's just look. Here's what the value is, and and so it's um it's kind of interesting. So it's kind of an interesting way to look at it. So this idea of so for pricing, you need to have a mindset around the value, and you need to believe in the value of it. What else should people do when they're thinking about pricing their services? Yeah, initially, I say, and again, this one of the this, the other after we talk about mindset, the other biggest uh, the biggest pitfall for those is. You know, they, they they look at what other people are charging and then they start they create a narrative in their head to substantiate why they're gonna be less. So they'll say something like, Oh, this guy, Joe, has been in the business for ten years and he or she he has all this experience, and I'm just starting in my first year, so therefore I should charge maybe half of what he charges or a tenth of what he charges until I get enough clients and I can raise it. And so they tell the story, they tell themselves the stories that they feel comfortable for the to, to you know to um to support the decision they just made of undercharging. And 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 the the bigger the, you know the biggest problem with that is if you're not again going back to what we said if you're focused on the value you're not it doesn't matter how much I don't care if this is your first year I don't care if you've been doing it for thirty years if you can literally figure out how to solve someone's problem then that's no longer we're no longer talking about um, the price we're not talking about the budget we're not talking about any of those things yeah this isn't a union operation exactly um, where it's like oh you've been doing this three years here's here's how much you get paid for it it's look if you can solve my problem and deliver better results i'm willing to pay more for that um i i think that oftentimes what i see is that people actually will the seller will will shift the conversation to be about price yes because the seller says well how much are you paying now and the client says, "Here's how much I'm paying," and they go, "Oh, well, maybe I can maybe I can save you some money." And now you just told the client the most important thing is about saving money. What if instead you said to that client, "Well, so zero to ten, how do you feel about the results you're getting right now?" And the client says, "Well, I think it's a six. Okay. Well, if we felt comfortable that you could get an eight, nine, or ten, how much more would that be worth?" Yes. And I'd much rather have that conversation because the customer who who shifts to you today because of price, that's the reason they're going to leave you in a year because someone else undercut you by five percent. Exactly. Exactly. So you sell and, on, and, you live on price, you die on price. And, and that and that customer is going to literally be a pain, pain in the. Ass. They're going to nickel and dime you. They're going to they're going to be going through the invoice line item by line item, asking you questions. They're also going to be calling you 
asking you for additional services for free. I've seen that from experience. So this is not necessarily, it is, it sounds like I'm generalizing, but it kind of is really reality. And that happens a lot because that their idea is, it's kind of like a miser mentality or mindset. And you said something that's, that saying you said earlier, you can never sell something for a dime more than you think it's worth because your body language will give it away. And that is so true. So whether it's your body language, your speech, your diction, you know, you, you're, you're so confident. I've seen it. I've seen people do this in sales in sales meetings. They're so confident about what they're doing and what they're selling. I can do this for you. I guarantee you all this. And then when it comes down to talking about how much it's going to cost me, automatically they revert back to a 12-year-old who's, you know, at their first school dance, you know, <laughs> hugging the wall, standing there waiting and like, oh, well, I hope somebody says yes. I'm like, come on. You just literally spent the last 30 minutes you know, being the man, telling everybody how amazing what you do is and who you are, and yet when it came to price to you know, to validate that, you you revert back into a tortoise. Yeah, a tortoise. It's, so it's, it's it's funny. I remember, um, and and obviously I'm fortunate that I'm in I'm in a little bit of an advantageous position often. But you know, someone someone said, "Well, man, you know, so so I see what it costs to to um to engage you. Um, so how can how can we get started for something below that number?" And I said, "Oh, great question. We can't. <laughs> That's just kind of the way it works. So I understand that it may not work for you. I'm happy to refer you to somebody else." Yeah, yeah. And they said, "No, no, because we we've had like three or four other people help us. And we haven't gotten anywhere. But everyone we talk to, they get these amazing results." And I said, "Okay. So what do you want to do next?" Yeah. And the CEO yeah. goes. Well, I guess we just got to suck it up and spend the money. I said, "Great, now we're on the same page." Exactly, exactly. But it's just, but it's if you know that you can deliver those results, then you know what it's worth. And so, if you focus on results, you get a better outcome. One other thing I want to cover is I know you've got this whole program on leadership and training, and I, I love the term of it of of economics. So, um, which you know you have a decided advantage, and you get to leverage your last name, and it sounds great. So, tell me about economics and what you do on the leadership side for, with companies. Well, economics is the focus on your mission, your mindset, your money, and I think I, I believe those three areas are all congruent in order to live a life of purpose, passion, and prosperity. So. What we do is we go into organizations. Uh, I'm speaking to a large manufacturer in about a month uh, and their sales team from a leadership perspective. And so the premise is this. I really believe that everybody can be a leader. Uh, everybody has leadership qualities and leadership abilities. The problem is we're taught at an early age that we're supposed to seek permission for leadership. So whether it's through someone who steps out or somebody who's above us says, okay, you're going to be the leader. We wait for consensus rather than being able to lead ourselves, our communities, and our ecosystems. It's kind of like a, a Venn diagram. And so what I do is I go into, I go into companies and, and create programs based on what their needs are in the leadership capacity uh, to, help take, you know, to help encourage and empower their employees, their middle managers, as well as uh, even the executives where there's an alignment between direction and what everybody wants. You know, the, the, the bigger, you know, another piece is that people don't realize that everybody has different types of motivation. There's intrinsic and extrinsic motivation. And, you know, externally, we think it's money. So automatically, when, when employees upset and they want to leave, the, you know, the, the company, if they, if they think they're valuable, will say, we'll give you a 10% raise or $20,000. But what people don't realize is in the first, when somebody offers you more money, you've already spent that money in your mind. You've literally said, okay, I'm going to pay off some debt, I'm going to buy a car, I'm going to buy some clothes and maybe go on a vacation. And then, it's, then the money's gone. And then all the problems you had before, 
not feeling significant, not being valued, whatever it is that you're dealing with at that particular company comes back two weeks after you get the check. So the goal is trying to identify those, you know, those setbacks and figure out ways to create pathways to, uh, you know, self-empowerment and improvement while you're in that organization. You feel like you're part, like you're a member. I mean, just look at the, the amazing cultures like, like Apple. These people are crazy. There are people who camp outside for phones that change every six months. There are people who work at every Apple store who go nuts. And, and they're happy, I mean, in a good way. And they're happy to serve you. And you can see it on their faces. They literally buy into the culture. And so I think that's something that, uh, you know, a lot of companies have the ability to do. And that's what I seek to help companies achieve. And I, I love that notion of don't seek permission, but instead take initiative. Yes. To, like, don't wait for someone to say, it's okay to take the leadership role in this thing. Just seize it. And take that initiative. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let me add this. I want to add this real quickly. So, so from a from a leadership perspective, there's a there's three quick stories, and they're little really rel- relatively really quick. So, uh, I'm born and raised in Toronto, Canada. Uh, when I back in the back when I was in high school in the early '90s, I really I had a dream when I was 12 or 13 years old to go play play uh, professional basketball, but also to play basketball in college in the U.S. Uh, that's obviously pre YouTube, pre online, pre internet, pre everything, and. The only way you got colleges to notice you were to either go to certain camps or were to either end up in certain Street and Smith magazines and, you know, these basketball magazines and go to these five-star camps. I didn't have that kind of money. And so, or I'd have to tour most of the U.S. So I ended up getting this book from the library. Uh, I still have it here today in my library, American Colleges, the, the Comparative Guide to American Colleges. And I sent letters to over 350 different schools. I, I didn't matter. Duke, I sent to every North Carolina. I even sent to smaller schools I never heard of. And... And then in the meantime, I saved money working at McDonald's and, and other you know, odd jobs to save up money to go to a camp to the point where I got that the camp forgot to pick me up at the, at the bus station in Cleveland, Ohio. I ended up sleeping in the bus station in Cleveland, Cleveland Ohio for a night until the camp realized that they forgot to pick me up. Wow. And, you know, as a 17 year old. But the thing is, my, my, you know, my, my dreams were bigger than that minor inconvenience. Right. And so so for me, leading up to where I ended up, I ended up going to a school called Calvin College. It gave me enough money to go to school. It was great. I played basketball, but I still had that dream to play professional basketball. And so my senior year in college, you know, I, I after my season was over, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? I interviewed two firms, Arthur Anderson and Raymond Robson in the Midwest. They both said no, because I'm, I was a Canadian citizen. I didn't want to they didn't want to sponsor uh, via work visa. That's the only way I could have been able to work in the U.S. So I burned the ships. Well, all my colleagues, all my classmates, everyone I knew was were interviewing for jobs. I continued going to school. When I was done with school in the summer, I ended up working uh, as a, I say as a janitor, but I was literally doing janitorial stuff from 6 p.m. to 12 p.m. at night, living in the basement of my former teammate's mother's house, making phone calls on 1010321 to over 250 to 300 different teams across Europe and also Asia. Every single night from midnight to 3 a.m., five to six days a week. And I was relentless. I'd watch, you know, Rick Steves travel through Europe. I'd watch travel shows. I'd watch European shows all day long and literally telling myself, I'm going there. It's going to happen. It's going to take time, but I'm going to go there. And I would spend thousands of dollars in phone bills trying to make it happen until mid to late, late, late August. I got a phone call from a team in Switzerland who got my tape, got my information, and they wanted to send me a contract. Wow. And, and I guess the, the key there is that if you want it bad enough and you put in the time and effort, you can get there. I mean, let's face it. Um, and, and so people don't know. I mean, Abong is like 5'1", 
No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a great, that would have been an even greater story. He's 5'1", weighs 112 pounds. He ended up being a center. Go figure. <laughs> like Rudy. Exactly. No, I think you're, I think you're slightly larger than that. Among's <laughs> one of the few people I meet. I'm like, damn, I'm kind of a little guy. <laughs> So what's oh, what wow. and and you know what and that's just that's such a that's such a great lesson for people that just kind of illustrates look if I mean you had a vision you had a mission you knew that with that mission and mindset look this is what I want to do and I'm going to make it happen and it's something that I think a lot of people have that hesitation I think it's a great lesson for people to to take in and realize look I mean it's a whole lot harder to become a professional basketball player than it is to start a business. Yes. And um, and there's a lot of people who won't make those phone calls and won't persevere and won't be that persistent to get there. And obviously you did. I think it's a great lesson for people to, uh, to take to heart because it's easy to say, oh, I can't do it. And you could have said the same thing, but obviously you didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't seek permission. Like, you yeah. know, I didn't seek permission from people because, again, if I sought permission uh, – conventional wisdom would have told me go get a job and go work at a company right away and do what everybody else is doing. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're watching, we all have our versions of seeking permission or, or not seeking permission. And that could, that varies based on your circumstances and your facts. All I'm telling people who are listening is it's possible if you figure out the roadmap to do it. And all you need to do is take a little bit, a little bit more time than the next person. Because the average, I had people I'd watch, I had people I watch on television, on CBS, playing the national tournament, ask me how I got overseas to play professional basketball. It's crazy. And so I said, well, I'm doing, I'm willing to do a little bit more than the next person. And that's, and that's basically, and I didn't ask people for permission. It didn't matter. Like it didn't matter. It was going to happen. And that's kind of, you know, relentless, you know, uh, pursuit that I had. That's a great message. I want to wrap there. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, best way is go to my go to my website abongeka.com, e b o n g e k a.com. There's everything there about me. Uh, you can also check out economics.com, e k a n o m i c s.com and on social platforms, it's just my first and my last name, Abong Eka everywhere. Yep. Uh, I'm I'm Snapchat I got an amazing Snapchat filter that I'm using today and I'm going to start going a little bit more into that as well, so um, follow me there as well. Hey, Bong, thanks so much for sharing your wisdom, man. It was a pleasure having you on. No, you're phenomenal. Thank you so much, Ian, for having me. I'm really humbled by this. It was so cool having Abong on the program. He's got such great knowledge and information. Let me give you the three key takeaways I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, don't focus on falling in love with your idea or believing it has to be innovative. Instead, focus on the four areas of structure, strategy, systems, and sales. That key area of structure, something I harp on all the time, which is focus on the problems you solve rather than what it is that you do. When it comes to pricing, don't get caught in this trap of cost plus. You need to have the right mindset for pricing and believe in the value so you're not trading dollars for hours. And finally, everyone can be a leader. Don't seek permission. Instead, take initiative. And in some cases, your differentiation is going to be that you took more initiative than others. Remember, this program gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you want me to cover, if there's a guest you think I should have on the program, just drop me a note at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, 
and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customers. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.